Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. This is the Athletics Football GM Podcast. And now, the Athletics Mike Sando and former NFL Executive of the Year, Randy Muir. Welcome, everybody, to the Football GM Podcast. Randy Mueller and I are back. Uh, glad to be back. We both watched the incredible Baylor victory in basketball this week. Congratulations to them. That almost looked like a, the makings of a good football squad there. Those guys really took it to Gonzaga. Physical teams. So, Randy, because the NFL is nonstop, we don't have to talk about the NCAA championship. We got the big Sam Darnold trade uh, today. We got uh, Randy's evaluation of Sam Darnold coming out. Not just in the abstract, but in relation to a bunch of other quarterbacks. You might be surprised what he thinks about them and what he thinks the future may hold. Uh, we're going to talk about whether you'd rather be in the Panthers situation or the 49ers situation at quarterback and, and in terms of what they've given up, where they're headed. We're going to talk about the thing you hear all the time. The draft's just a crapshoot, right? Well, not really. Randy will explain on that. We're also going to talk about where this Darnold trade leaves other quarterback needy teams from Denver to New England and some others who may not have needs immediately. But Randy, good morning. How you doing? I'm doing great, Mike. Happy to be here, as always. Yep. It is great to have you here. And we were actually talking earlier this week, you know, hey, when should we record the podcast? And we thought, you know, let's wait a day. I mean, something more could happen. We had plenty of stuff, but something more did happen. And yesterday it got exciting with the Carolina Panthers acquiring Sam Darnold from the New York Jets for a sixth round pick this year, a second and a fourth next year. Reportedly, Denver was kind of in on this too. Makes sense to you, Randy? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. In fact, I think I suggested it for the 49ers a couple weeks ago. So yeah, it, it connected to dots for me. Um, I think it all comes down to how you see these quarterbacks in the draft this year, whether you're in the eighth position or the ninth position or or the second or third position for that matter. That's really the linchpin to, to all of the discussion is how good do you think these guys are? And we see different philosophies at work here. We saw 49ers moving up, going all in. We saw Carolina didn't have to move up, didn't have to go all in, still thinks they got things solved. And you're right. We've got some teams looking uh, from the outside in still to solve their quarterback issues going forward. So it's a, it, it's a big puzzle. We all put it together a little different, much like the salary cap. All these teams, you know, divide up the pie any way they see fit. But building your team is no different. You've got to divide it up and, and, and put the things that you think are important on the table, and you hold back some cards along the way to, as we're seeing, maybe some of these teams just view their own position in the race different. I think that's the big thing for me is that 49ers view their team a little different than Carolina does. We'll see what's right or wrong uh, at the end of the day, but uh, I like the move. I thought it was a good move for Carolina. Um, I think they obviously have had love, whether it's Scott Fitterer, their GM, 
or uh, the coach in that they have some love for for uh, Sam Darnold come, when he came out. So that has to be a factor that has to carry over. And and we'll get into some of the details in that. But I think overall, uh, the winners were, were Carolina and, and you'd have to say Sam Darnold. He's a winner in this deal. He goes from really what's been a oh, chaotic yeah. situation to to now a chance to play for for uh, Joe Brady, Matt Rule, um, an offense uh, that is is on the rise without a doubt. Reunited with Robbie Anderson, Jets fans probably weren't expecting Robbie Anderson and Sam Darnold to be playing together in Carolina. <laughs> yeah. It says a lot about the Jets, actually. Which brings but up a I whole other key- discussion. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, the whole other discussion is if you were to have taken, you know, listed a couple of years ago the most talented players on the Jets roster, yeah. you might have had a Robbie Anderson, you might have had a Sam Darnold, you might have had a Jamal Adams, you might have had a Leonard Williams, and wow, yeah. great <laughs> job, Jets, getting draft capital for those guys because, you know, <laughs> you, you should get draft capital because they're good. Wouldn't, you wouldn't want to <laughs> have actually talented players be on your team. Right. Would you? No. That's the first thing I yeah. That's the thing I thought of when I started to list them out, just like you did. You know, Sam Darnold's gone now, and and all those other guys you listed. Robbie Anderson, who we didn't want, caught ninety five balls for Carolina last year. Leonard Williams, one of the best defensive linemen in the whole league. So yeah, yeah, yeah. it's nice to get your own players. It's great, but (laughs) great job just getting maximum value for those players. I mean, that's really going to help you win a lot of games. I'm being a little facetious because Joe Douglas wasn't in in a perfect spot coming in there, but. To me, the whole thing that this hinges on is your evaluation of Darnold. And so um, right. if you're as tortured as we are and we spend, you know, way too much time on Twitter, you know, there's a there's a lot of people who think uh, <laughs> Sam Darnold uh, bust. You know, he's never even even if you said it's been a bad situation there, he hasn't shown enough to even justify Carolina giving up what they gave up. I'm interested, though, in your evaluation of Darnold because that's the whole variable to this thing. If you if you love Darnold, then Carolina didn't give up anything. I mean, what they gave up is nothing. Who's going to care? If you think Darnold, you know what, by now should have shown more and has fatal flaws, then you might be scratching your head and saying, hey, good job, Jets. You pawned them off. But I want to get where what you think of Darnold. And when we were talking off the air you shared a little bit of where you had him and why in relation to other quarterbacks drafted recently. I think that's really interesting, and I would love to hear what you think of him in relation to them. I think it is important to take a step back and take a little bigger sample size from year to year when you do this job, when you evaluate these quarterbacks and build teams in the NFL like some of us have been lucky to do, you've got to take a big sample size at times, and and sometimes that's from 30,000 feet. And all I did was was insert Sam Darnold into the equation of quarterbacks the last three or four years that have come out and, and, and not viewed them necessarily from current times, but I wanted to know what I thought about all these guys going back when they yep. came out of college. So remind the, the listeners, this is context from when these guys came out. And okay. it kind of goes hand in hand with what you said when – when a lot of people, and I hear this in the media a lot, I hear this especially on social media a lot, the draft is just a crapshoot. It's a crapshoot. Well, 
It's really not a crapshoot if you know what you're looking at. It's a crapshoot to go to the track and just start betting on horses that you don't even know what they are. So I think there, <laughs> let, let's just face it. There's, there's a little art to evaluating. And yeah, certain evaluators can get things wrong. We all do it. I got things wrong occasionally as well. But I do think you can explain some of this stuff. And to swing it back around to Sam Darnold's case, and you mentioned him coming out, I think those of us that studied Sam Darnold hard and in depth, and this includes more than just the film. This includes watching them live. This includes uh, character. Uh, this includes all of the deep dive we do as scouts when we go to these schools, all the information that we extract. I felt like Sam Darnold, really the offense at USC kind of held him back. I thought it was a, a, a paint-by-numbers offense that really didn't give him a lot of options. It didn't give him dump-offs. It didn't give him check-downs. It, it was really basic and and it was a lot of risk and not a lot of reward and I felt like he made some of the same mistakes we see him make with the Jets he made those at USC but I didn't put those all on him so then he gets to the Jets I think uh the the talent around him starts to erode it was obvious that it was a chaos type situation from the coaches you know on down really wasn't fair to 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 judge anybody's development in that in that arena per se. And some of the same, same things that reared their heads at USC did it again at, at the Jets. So uh, I think we had consensus. And when I say we, I'm talking about the Chargers staff in general. When when Sam Darnold came out, we had consensus that he was a good player. I think he might've been our highest rated quarterback at the time. I know for me, he was way up there and his grade is very reflective of that. When you insert him into this, you know, what has he done for me lately with all the guys coming out this year, I had Sam Darnold just slightly behind Zach Wilson, but ahead of Justin Fields, ahead of Trey Lance, way ahead of Mac Jones. Um, so he, for me, was was one of the top guys that have come out the last three years. I mean, yeah, Trevor Lawrence is up there. Josh Allen's up there. But for the most part, maybe maybe uh, uh, Joe Burrow's up there. But there's a lot of players that, we, that I would see as less valuable than Sam Darnold. Therefore, I thought he was the linchpin to a lot of these guys' quarterback questions, whether they would take him or take a different route. And when I say other teams, that that included the 49ers, that included Denver, Pittsburgh. Um, obviously, New England wasn't going to get uh, the Jets to make a deal with them. But I, I thought Chicago, in other words, I thought Chicago, this was a good option for them, the Sam Darnold trade. Probably they couldn't make it because they burned up so much capital and so much reputation with swinging and missing on quarterbacks that they couldn't sell a, a somewhat controversial Sam Darnold as the answer. But another team could. You know, their their hierarchy there with Ryan Pace and, and Nagy are, are kind of teetering right now. So the Sam Darnold move didn't make enough, couldn't be sold by them to the masses. But we saw it was sold by Carolina. And, and I think... The reason it was is because they had love for him coming out. They see in the big scope of things, Sam Darnold's still in the top echelon. I think he could still be a top 10 quarterback, and that's why they make the move. So kind of a long-winded answer. I'm sorry to kind of beat around the bush a little bit, but I think Sam Darnold, consensus from staffs when he came out, still has pretty good consensus right now, and that's why it makes sense to me, especially when you consider the other quarterbacks who you loop him in with value-wise, uh, there's still a lot of upside with Sam Darnold, not to mention the fact that he's only 23 years old. And we see a guy like Mac Jones, who's 22 years old right now. So they're really the same age. When do you come off of the college eval? You know, um, uh, 
just having always done my quarterback tears thing every year, I could always tell certain guys were slow to credit Russell Wilson because they just thought he was too short, and that that took him it took him like two extra years. You know, it's kind of like the old thing where you go to one or two extra Pro Bowls after you're deserving, but it took you two years when you should have been one before that you didn't right. get to go. So, is there a delay uh, for a player like that? And is it a fair criticism that maybe? Sam Darnold, after a couple of years, should be downgraded from what we saw of him in college. I think when you come off of that anchoring or, or a college eval is when it does, just doesn't make sense to you anymore, when you can't connect the dots. I think a lot of us can connect the dots with yeah. his play in New York because of the surrounding cast and all the things I mentioned already. So I agree with you. It's hard for people to sometimes come off their college evaluation, and we call that anchoring in, in the NFL. You're anchored on your college grade, and, and you're going to go down – you know, no matter what with that grade. Well, I don't think that makes sense if the current day explanation doesn't work. But I do think in this case, the explanation works for not only when Sam Darnold was at SC, but but at the Jets in that I think there's more upside here than, than we're giving it credit for or, 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 you know, what some of the league is giving him credit for. Absolutely. So, so in, in this draft this year, you would put him, you said you would have Lawrence and Zach Wilson higher and then you'd have Darnold in there um, yes. as probably the next guy. And you said Fields would be close after that. I, I had Fields. I had Fields third in this draft, but I would put Darnold ahead of him coming out as far as why? my evaluation. Yeah, yeah why? I just think there's there's um, a little a little better instinctive value with with Sam. I think maybe it's it's the anticipation uh, before he he could throw people open a little better than where Justin is right now. I felt like that he was a little further along in the learning curve of playing quarterback. Um, and the body work was pretty good. You know, I mean, I know Sam came out after his redshirt sophomore year, but he had been their guy for a couple years. So I just think there was a, a little easier body of work to connect to. But I'll say this, there's not a lot of difference, that's for sure. Not not a big separation there. And again, as we always talk about this, Mike, so many of these picks become organizational success stories or failures. Yep. So time will tell. And I think in this case, Sam Donald was part of an organizational failure in New York. That's just my opinion. Yep. No, I'm with you, with you 100% there. You know, in I mentioned the quarterback tears talk that I, or conversations I have every year talking to 50 people that are like Randy. They're not, they're not quite as smart as Randy, but they're all, <laughs> they're all almost yeah, in that right. realm. And I learned so much from it, you know, really um, not being an evaluator myself, but being able to talk to so many of them. I went through my notes on, uh, you know, what people have said about Darnold, not just what anybody said, but people who've, you know, he'd been in the division, coached with, coached against, those sorts mm -hmm. of things who really have a feel for him. And, and the bullet points I pulled together on him from my notes over the last couple of years were, I had said, hey, doesn't his ability to read coverages need to improve? And I was told it won't. You have to sort of set it up a certain way for him. That's interesting to me because you were talking about it wasn't set up right at USC. Maybe it wasn't set up good uh, with the Jets. That he's, you talked about instincts. There's kind of a flip side to having instincts is he's a little bit more comfortable backyard balling it. You know, he's super instinctive. So when it breaks down, he may be at his best. But when when it's sort of contained and structured, he's almost looking for it to get out of that. He's almost not as good in that. Um, I don't know if you agree with that. Uh, we can get to that. He can get sort of fouled up on where the ball needs to go. Maybe that's a little bit more of that, that tension between the instincts and mm -hmm. playing within a system. But like you said, in, you know, whether you call it character or makeup or whatever, he is self-aware. He is conscientious. He does want to fix it. Mm -hmm. 
being in New York can ruin somebody. You know, remember that yeah. whole game about seeing ghosts and all that? And I think it was a right. big media creation, but it becomes reality. Right. You know, when it, <laughs> you have to live with these things as a player. So hopefully for him, he's going to get out of this fishbowl where everything was wrong, get into a different, easier market, uh, maybe with better people around him and succeed. Do you buy that whole thing, though, on the instinct of this or not? Is he too reliant on instincts? And could that be something that holds him back? I think he's had to be because the systems he's in, to be honest with you. I just don't think there were enough answers for him. Yeah. So as he processes information, he's ready to bail sooner than some because he doesn't trust what's going on around him. And he doesn't trust that they're all going to be on the same page and that he can get to read three or four. And it's still th those options are going to be there. I just didn't see that at SC. I didn't see it early in, in his in his Jets time as well. The other thing is uh, he, there's a little bit of the, you know, beaten puppy uh philosophy as well. When you when you continue to beat the puppy, eventually he gets a little gun shy. And I think there's some 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 of that gun shy demeanor with Sam as well. He just gets a little gun shy at times and, and he will make a, a, an errant throw. There's no doubt about it. But I'll say this, I haven't been around a great one at all that that you don't say that about. You say, what the heck is he doing? You know, and, and he has some of that in him because he has a little gunslinger in him. And again, we said this about Brett Favre all the time, right? And some of these great quarterbacks. And, and so I kind of like a little bit of that. It's whether the system can take him to the next level, I think. And that's the whole answer to this whole key of, of the Carolina taking him. Can that, can that system do what it did for Joe Burrow? Do what it did, you know, for some of these other guys. If it can take him to the next level, that's the key. Yeah, I think you know. I think for me, one of the one of the criticisms of the way they played offense with the Jets was I wasn't really sure what they were trying to be. You know, it, right. it felt like I think I think one of the things that uh, probably you know was good with Adam Gase when he was with a Peyton Manning was I, I think he loved the mad scientist thing of of doing a bunch of different stuff and making it tailored for an opponent. But when you go to not have that type of a quarterback, um, sometimes you, these guys who have, I'm not going to say a rigid system, but we know what Kyle Shanahan's trying to do, right? I mean, it, you know what that offense is. Now, you you made the ties to Burrow and that offense, obviously, with Joe Judge. Do you feel good about what they're doing offensively? Not just the better talent, but do you think that that's a good situation that's going to finally open some doors for him as opposed to limit him? Are you talking about in Carolina? Carolina, yeah. In Carolina, oh, yeah. Joe Judge that said, do you like what they do offensively? Yeah, Joe Brady, yeah. Joe Brady, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I do like it a lot. And I think he gave Teddy Bridgewater a lot of options as well. I think, again, un un underlying this whole idea of Sam Darnold coming in is the fact that Carolina was in a lot of games last year. They didn't finish him. And I think they just felt like Teddy Bridgewater was not going to be the guy for them. So they go out and get this. I think they do believe in the system. I do believe in that system. And I think they left a lot of plays on the field last year because of it. Teddy just couldn't do what Joe Brady wanted to do, what he had done with Joe Burrow the year before at LSU. I just don't think, I think there was the top, the upside was, was capped with with Teddy Bridgewater. And I think that will be unlocked in this sense because I think they see not only the wow plays from Sam Darnold, but they see a little more arm strength. They see the ability to spread the field in different ways. They see the ability to check down and use their running back more in the passing game. And that's not all, all on Teddy Bridgewater. I just think they're, they're looking for more. They're looking for better. They're looking for a more inclusive offense. And I think Sam Darnold gives them more long-term answers to the questions that we all have. 
Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, I think some people are evaluating this in uh, terms of, well, is Sam Darnold for sure better than Teddy Bridgewater right now? And I don't think that's really what they're doing. I mean, I think there's a chance that he won't be. But they know what Teddy Bridgewater is, and they know they don't want that forever. So they're yeah. bringing in somebody who um, has, from a talent standpoint, the ability to be better than that. It doesn't mean he's a better quarterback than Bridgewater now. If you needed to manage a game right now, Teddy Bridgewater would probably be your better your better choice in a one-game situation in the short term. He's a veteran player, and he's been able to do that. But that's not what they're looking for long term. So they're taking a swing on somebody who clearly has been evaluated higher and, and has a, a better ceiling. Doesn't guarantee anything, but now it's upon them and him to get more out of it and, and raise that ceiling for them. We'll see what it means. They're going to get Christian McCaffrey back, which should help. Um, they've made some decent additions there. And... Uh, I'm anxious to see. I think that's kind of a fun thing about this year, Randy. There's a lot of quarterbacks changing teams. And sometimes we have those debates of, like, how much of it is the environment? How much of it is the player? We're going to get to see with somebody like Sam Darnold. He's not going to be with the Jets forever like it used to be. He might have been in the in another day. He would have maybe played two more years there, right? Right. Well, the good thing about it, I guess, for the Jets is that they're not they're not letting a player go with a kind of cap wake left in the in in in, you know, in the background that that uh, the Rams did or that the Eagles did with Goff or Wentz. They're on a first-time contract that is tolerable for them to move on. And, and yeah, I guess that's the, the yeah. beauty of, of the new contracts and, and, and the ability to change and pivot in the middle of uh, a quarterback's development, in my opinion. I think it's, it's interesting that, and maybe we'll get into this, but the reasons the 49ers went up and the reasons the Panthers didn't go up I think a philosophical decision there by those franchises is one that we'll have to watch and see how, oh, yeah. you know, what worked out the best. That's my next little bullet point on the little fancy napkin I got here where we put down <laughs> all of our great ideas is I was thinking of this yesterday. You know, I was asked to, you know, provide a little bit of analysis on that Darnold trade. And I, I was kind of thinking in the scheme of things, I thought about it more like I would I would rather, I think, be what the Panthers are doing. Where you you know you we can debate did they should they have given up more or less for them? they didn't give up the farm for Darnold I mean they didn't even give up anything this year it's a two next year you can maneuver and get it to if you really have to have a two that's not going to kill you or would you rather be the 49ers who have given up the 12th pick this year a third rounder this year first in 22 and 23 to go from 12 to three just to get the third best quarterback Randy who you don't even necessarily have as a slam dunk rating higher than than Darnold to me. I would rather be doing what Carolina's doing, and I know I know you would, right? I mean, is this hard? Yeah, no, I totally agree. In fact, like I said, I suggested this move for the 49ers a couple of weeks ago rather than go all in on, like you said, the third-best quarterback. But I think what we're seeing is we're seeing one team willing to admit they are desperate to get a quarterback and willing to go all in to do it to really uh, give the coach what he wants is a change at quarterback. And another team who who – is not willing to do that, didn't think they had to do it, and didn't value this year's quarterbacks as worth going up to get. Because let's face it, they could have gone up. Carolina could have offered a little more. Miami would have loved to have made the deal with them at eight. And I don't think they would have had to make the deal to come back to six like they did with Philly when they dropped all the way to 12. So Carolina, I'm, I'm assuming, was in the middle of this deal and just didn't feel the same love that the 49ers have for whoever they're going to pick at three. And so the, the change, the difference in philosophy will be one that I think is going to merit watching how it plays out. I, I, I'm with you. I'd rather be Carolina 
have, having made this move for Matt, uh, for uh, Sam Darnold, and now they have the eighth pick. They haven't given away, like you said, anything this year. They still have the eighth pick to add to the team building that they're doing now. So I like it. Uh, it also takes me to what I mentioned earlier, is that the 49ers, I think, view themselves as being a quarterback away from being a Super Bowl team. And so they 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 look at themselves in the mirror and think they see a, a really good team ready to make a deep run in the playoffs. I don't think Carolina does that. I think this move makes a lot of sense for them because they still have all the other pieces that they can put in play to make their team better as a whole because it is a team. So I just think these teams viewed each other a little different. How it works out in the end, time will tell. Because you could try to spin Carolina as a team that, well, you know, they just didn't make the bold move, and all these other teams did, and they were at the end. They just got desperate and had to do Darnold, but Sam Darnold. But we're not really seeing that way. We're seeing it as more of a measured approach of looking at it like, hey, you're doing that for freaking Mac Jones or or somebody like that, well, San Francisco. Yeah. What are we thinking? <laughs> I think the desperation that these teams that that they feel and their willingness to take a big swing and miss is what's you know, changed over time when you're talking about drafting these quarterbacks this high. I, I Just because the media and all the prognosticators say there's five quarterbacks in this draft, we got to get one, doesn't mean I have to like all five. In fact, in my case, I only like two. So if you're Carolina, maybe you say the same thing. There's only two I really would want or be willing to make a move for. 49ers are willing to jump up there for, for the third one. So that's the key to to me is how you view these quarterbacks in this year's draft. And I don't think there's any consensus. That's what makes the whole 49er move to get Mac Jones at three crazy, in my opinion. Because yeah, that one, that, yeah, he's the most polarizing of all these guys. And I'll say this. In January, if you go back and look at the prognosticators who had who going where, in January, Mac Jones wasn't even in the conversation. I so think, that, yeah. yeah. That tells think, me that all the scouts, all the people that do this for a living, they didn't have Mac Jones rated high. Mac Jones's ascension into this conversation didn't happen until after the coaches got involved, after especially head coaches got involved, and all of a sudden Mac Jones' stock ascends through the ceiling. Yes. That to me is the timing of it all that is very peculiar to me because Mac Jones was not – your coaches don't look at any players until after their season is over. So the early assessments, and there's four or five from each team. You have four or five opinions on these guys all through the fall and into January. And and me included, I wouldn't even had Mac Jones in the first round. you know. But now all of a sudden, when you get coaches involved, it, it, the evaluations change. I think the, the level of desperation changes and the louder some voices are in the room changes. And all of a sudden, we're back to you know uh, uh, the desperate need to fill a, fill a, a quarterback spot and trading up to get a guy that maybe is not worth it. And there's a there's a difference between what coaches and what evaluators want, okay? So a coach yes, a lot of times totally different has, agenda. Yeah. A coach a lot of times has a um, system that he a, a certain style of play that he wants to use. Okay? That's usually more important to the coach than the evaluator. The evaluator wants to get the best talent and will the coach's job should be to change what they do to, to get the most out of this, right? But the coaches, a lot of times, they're kind of like people who have favorite flavors of ice cream. Mm -hmm. And when you talk to coaches about quarterbacks, a lot of times you learn as much about the coaches as you do about the quarterbacks because right. they have certain things they're looking for. And it's not just quarterbacks. Sometimes right. an offensive line coach doesn't want a young guy who's right. super talented. He wants the 30-year-old guy he doesn't have to coach because the guy right. can, will just line up right and he's not going to false start and he knows how to pick up the blitz. And right. it's a lot of an easier job. So 
a coach sometimes sees a Mac Jones type guy and thinks, oh, he does a lot of the things we want to do. He could he could run our system. But that's right. not what we're trying to do to get better and win the championship, right? We're trying to get somebody who's more talented than I'm not picking on Mac Jones. I'm just using yeah, him, no, him as an example. We want to get somebody who's more talented than that, has a higher seating than that, and coach him. Get him think, to be able yeah. to do those things. Yeah, Coaches are very confident in their abilities, and I understand that. And that's yeah. why we hire who we hire. But I think, yes, their, their confidence sometimes can get the evaluation and the hierarchy out of whack because they are so confident in that they can make the deficiencies of a player go away. They just, they, they see it a little different. And it's, it's to me, the ideal selection of a player is when that coach's vision actually meets the evaluator's uh, value that they put on it. It's, it's, and I, I read this in Bill Walsh's book years ago, and I've used this. And, and when I haven't used this, what I'm about to say, when I haven't used this philosophy, Mike, I, I've made mistakes in the draft over the years. And, and it comes back to this. And Bill Walsh, I believe, said this uh, when he wrote his book about the 49ers. Don't draft players whose scouts have the, lo- whose lowest grades come from the scouts. Don't draft players whose lowest grades come from the scouts Interesting. because they really know them. They've looked at more film than anybody. They see them from an objective standpoint without any agendas, without any uh, scheme, so to speak. And, and it's a more true evaluation. I remember drafting a player or two in Miami when I was the GM later in the draft. So it wasn't a lot of capital spent, but drafting a center that I really loved. But I go back and look at all of our scouts had this guy as a late round pick or free agents. So I kind of trumped them. I was the loudest voice in the room. I could trump them because I loved them. Guess who was right? The scouts were right. And the consensus <laughs> of all those scouts, it was right. So yeah. I think you've got to be careful when you're these teams, when you let need, when you let a loud voice lead you down a road that this player has deficiencies. And the scary thing is all of your scouts see it. I guarantee you there are scouts with the 49ers, if indeed Mac Jones is their guy. There's scouts in there that say, whoa, this is, here's what I see, Mac Jones. It's a different deal. So it's not about one of us being right and the rest of us being wrong. I always go back to the truth is in the middle and let's build a consensus. And if we do have some naysayers in the room, here's what we're going to do. We're probably going to go a different direction. I don't want to draft players whose lowest grades come from our personnel department and our scouts because they're the guys that do this for a living. And I I value coaches' opinions. Don't get me wrong. I love to have them involved. I just don't want them to always be the loudest voice. That's for sure. So do you, I mean, how much do we buy the idea that that's, we're, we're sort of critiquing Kyle Shanahan, criticizing yeah. him for going up for Mac Jones. We don't really know if that's what they're right. doing. I mean, they could be going for somebody else yeah. um, who, ha, who has a quote unquote higher ceiling, right? Uh, uh, I'm just so, using it as yeah. an example of the philosophy yeah. involved in trading up. Yes, you're right. You're exactly right. Mac but, Jones is only said to be their selection by all the outside people outside their building. So who knows how that'll work. But at any way you look at it, they're going to draft the third best quarterback in most guys' mind and are willing to go up to get it. And and again, those a lot of professional evaluators see this quarterback crew as a two two man race and the rest are in a developmental prospect stage rather than ready for prime time. They're going to get one of those guys in my opinion. Yes, yes. So uh, the reason I was going down that road with Shanahan, and I was just curious, do you do you buy that, that, it, that Mac Jones is probably the guy, or do you kind of just stay away from it and say, look, this is just a bunch of speculation. We don't really know. That's what people are saying. We can address it. Um, 
or is there too much, you know, smoke there that there has to be some fire? What do you think? Well, I, I said from the minute this came out, there's no way. That I'm, <laughs> saying, I'm saying this in my mind. There's no way they're going up at, to three to get Mac Jones. There's there's too much that's yeah. not there. So I'm thinking that's a smokescreen. And, and at the end of the day, I still think the 49ers may do something different than that. And so, yes, we are not criticizing Kyle or what they're doing. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm more uh, analyzing the, the position of drafting a third quarterback, no matter who it is, and it not being a consensus-driven decision. It's more of a desperation or a need decision. That's all. Yep. Excited to share with you a new podcast from The Athletic. It is called Shattered, Hope, Heartbreak, and the New York Knicks. Has there ever been a more appropriate title? Shattered is a documentary-style podcast series on the past 20 years of the Knicks. Hosted by hip-hop legend Chuck D. from Public Enemy, the series tells all the wild, crazy stories from the past two decades of the Knicks under team owner James Dolan. Believe me, some of those are going to be impossible to believe. New episodes of Shattered are released every Tuesday. Search for Shattered, Hope, Heartbreak, and the New York Knicks wherever you get your podcasts. One thing I wanted to circle back to, the idea that the draft's a crapshoot, you know, and I, I think it would be, I, I think if I were had your ty- type of a job, you know, I would bristle when I hear that because it makes it sound <laughs> like anybody could do it. We could all just go to Mel Kuyper's draft guide. Uh, no disrespect to Mel. He's a yeah. great guy who does a great job. But you know what I mean? We could all just go to what's on the Internet and pick the players. And sometimes it feels that way, Randy. Like when you see these teams um, giving up on Jared Goff or whatever, you know, you, it is easy to just be cynical watching it going, shoot, I could pick the best quarterbacks in the draft and have a better job do a better job than these NFL teams right what do you say to that I think um, I think it's a maybe it is a fair criticism for some teams the way some of these players are picked right. but you know is it true ultimately yeah I I, I I do bristle a little bit at the fact when I hear people say it's a crapshoot because I think it's far from a crapshoot I think sometimes it's a crapshoot for the people that don't have all the information and who aren't really worried about building consensus. And that's usually your single evaluators that come from outside of a building, whether it's on social media or in the media. They don't build, even the Todd McShays and Mel Kuypers, to my knowledge, they don't build their board on a consensus basis. It's one person's opinion. And maybe they have a guy or two that actually watches film. But trust me, these NFL teams, you're going to have seven or eight opinions on certain players. And I find that it becomes a crapshoot when you go against the consensus building mechanism that that these teams have. And and I agree. Some teams are better at evaluating than others. Let's just face it. That's just the way it is. Some scouts are better at evaluating than others. I've been around some that are really good, but they gather great information. So that's their value. I've been around some others that are great evaluators and really don't care about necessarily all the sources and, and collecting the information. So you got to you got to know how to evaluate the evaluators. And I think that's what people should get tra- keep track of when talking about these quarterbacks. I, I can explain most of the picks when I say most of them, a high percentage of picks three or four years in the league. I think I can explain to you why they're where they're at. And some of that has to do with what we felt about them coming out. Now, again, we've said when it comes especially to quarterbacks, it's an organizational task, right? The organization has to do right by these guys. And I think in, in most cases, that's what why these quarterbacks fail. I think in, in Carson Wentz's case, I think that was an organizational failure. You know, from the, from their roster, from their schemes, from everything, there was a disconnect there. I think when you look at a guy like Jared Goff, there were a lot of us 
but didn't see him as being a top pick in the draft. So when people say it's a crapshoot, you know, it might have been a crapshoot for some, but I know the Chargers didn't have him up there. We had two or three guys in our room that didn't even have Jared Goff as a first-round pick. So One people of might initials say, was RM, I hear. Yeah, wow. I mean, just people say, oh, it's easy to say now. You, you know, you say that because he didn't work out. And actually, that's not the case. We said this early on in the process. So uh, you just got to yeah. go back and, and consider the evaluators and evaluate them and keep track of their track record. And that's what really owners, that's what people that hire GMs should be doing, is keeping track of their, evaluate the evaluators as part of the process of who you hire to actually build your teams. That's all. And that's what makes Sam Darnold interesting, I think, is, you know, that you, you had that evaluation on him and you have a track record and a way of doing it that uh, yeah. makes it intriguing, right? More, it's, it's an intriguing addition. I think um, as we hit the home stretch here on the Football GM podcast, I think we should talk about, you know, the impact of that Darnold move on some of the other teams. And when you look at teams now that need, there's different levels of need for quarterback now, right? Um, I feel like New England really need something. I mean, I, I mean, they can't just spend all that money in free agency and then just hope that uh, Cam Newton gets his fastball back, you know, after a tough year and say that it was 100% because um, because they didn't have weapons when it was probably only partly that. Denver would be another one, although they have Drew Locke. I mean, they have a young guy that they may like. Uh, they could use probably somebody too. And then we have some longer te- term teams too, you know, uh, Pittsburgh, Atlanta. You've mentioned yeah. Seattle, which I think is interesting. Um, let's start with those teams that are, do you think anybody now moves up, right? Is a, is a Denver or a New England, is it that urgent, you think? Or is, are we pretty much done, you think, with the big maneuvering? I think there's urgency there for some of these teams to still fix their quarterback position. And you mentioned the, the Denvers, the Steelers, the Patriots, and in some cases, you know, the Seahawks, so to speak, for the long term. But I don't see anybody jumping up to four. It's been said that Atlanta wants to explore moving down. Well, that tells me they don't really like the quarterback because they could need, they need a quarterback of the future as oh. well. So, so yeah. if they're willing to back up, it tells me no one really views these other quarterbacks as guys we're going to go up for. So I think the movement draft-wise is going to kind of settle in here now. I'd be surprised if someone jumps up pre-draft to take Atlanta's pick at four. You know, Maybe if somebody shakes out, I could see somebody moving up to – to, to do something else maybe. But, you know, if, if if these teams are truly on the clock to fill their quarterback positions starting in 2022, I know myself as a GM, I'm going to explore all these things trying to get the jump on the other teams. You know, there's if you put five teams in this pool of we got to solve our quarterbacks beyond this year, I, I, I'm going to start always having one eye ahead to see how I'm going to get this done. And if I could get that guy in my building, Maybe I, I hedge my bet on the future. You know, that's why I thought it made sense for some of these teams to go grab a Sam Darnold, even if he wasn't going to be their starter this year. He was in their building, much like the Saints did last year with Jameis Winston. I thought this Jameis Winston signing last year by the Saints was a good signing for two reasons. One, it gave him a legitimate pocket passer to back up Drew Brees with, but it also got him in the building a year early. So they're going to be that much further ahead this year with Jameis Winston. That's what I want to see from the Steelers, or that's what I want to see really from Seattle. I just think, and I keep bringing up Seattle, I think there's something there for for Russell Wilson to find a new place, and it's probably a year away from happening. But I can see a divorce simmering on the back burner there at some point. I really do. And I think the, the, the 
the pressure on some of these teams to fill their quarterback spot a little bit ahead of time. If they can stay ahead of the shark, so to speak, they'd like to do that. Yeah. How do you like, I had a little note, you know, in my piece last week on free agency, talking about Seattle, you know, and, and just kind of just having conversations like we are now, you know, Philly's got all these picks in the first round of the future. Where would Russell Wilson go? I mean, I'm sort of, it's, it's a little bit of a dead horse topic this offseason. He's probably not going anywhere, but um, I still think it's interesting to consider that, wow, I mean, here's somebody who, um, you know, is really a star quarterback, um, a, a difference maker for them. He was a unanimous tier one player last year. It's still almost hard to believe that you would have that be a divorce, but I'm kind of with you. I think I could see it happening too, whether it's in the just before his contract's up, I think right. it happened. I think it's interesting because I, I, I and I, I always smirk now when I hear the Russell Wilson discussion because Russell Wilson or his agent was way out front, right? Making all these claims, making all these demands. The Seahawks front office stayed silent, right? Never said a word, never said a word. It's almost like now Russell Wilson is out sending out tweets, congratulating guys on his team for signing. Hey, guys, let's go. You know, I'm back in here. Yes. And, and, and the Seahawks are still silent, right? So I think it's kind of funny in that Russell Wilson's now, he, he's picked another lane that I'm going to be here. And the Seahawks said, eh, not so fast. You know, they're not yeah. going to come out and, and, and hug him up and and build the fire and, and mend the bridges. They've kind of just kept their hands you know, out of the fire, so to speak. And we'll see. Because as you and I know, having been around Seattle, having kind of known a little bit behind the scenes, there's, there's some question as to if this guy is the leader long term and how authentic that leadership role is. And I think the Seahawks have always known this. He's been so good that they have never been able to test that. But now he's come out and said all these things where his legacy is a little bit in doubt in Seattle. I think and, it's, and, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I think it's cute that they haven't even acknowledged, hey, we've got him back in the fold now. They just kind of let him twist out there with his tweets on congratulating and his Go Hawks comments, all of that stuff. They just let him twist, in my opinion, for now. They haven't embraced him back yet and said, hey, we're all good. They haven't said anything like that. So I just think it's kind of funny. Yeah. All that stuff, the talk show circuit, all that, it didn't really get a rise out of them. And so you wonder, okay, at a certain point, what could Wilson or his camp, quote unquote, do to to stir it up again? And and I think at this point, people are sort of on to the fact that you know, yes. where this stuff was coming from. So at, yes. at a certain point, it would be it will start to work against Wilson, right? And I think it may have already a little bit, a little know, bit, the marketing, yeah. the branding, all that. I think his legacy has taken a hit, at least in Seattle, because the people there actually understand and the and question the authenticity of some of the statements. Now, I think there still is, you know, he did still shine a light on them as a front office stuff for the moves that they make. And I think people are paying a little bit closer attention. I'm just fascinated. I think this is such a big year for him and them because they haven't always done the the best they possibly could, I think, offensively. Uh, Whether uh, whether it's putting together the line, whether it's how they've called the plays, whether it's Pete's influence on the offense. I think there's some legitimate concerns and criticisms there. But Russell Wilson also played poorly the second half of last year. No doubt. Independent from all of that. He didn't look like the same guy. He didn't look like a guy who – he looked like somebody who didn't want to get hit. So this year we're going to not only get – half a season we're not even going to only get 16 games we're going to get 17 games in the playoffs <laughs> to really evaluate and look at it and there's a new coordinator there right, right. you can't yep. just blame it on Brian Schottenheimer or Daryl Bell at a certain point if you're getting three coordinators failing on the coach 
on the quarterback. Does, does that happen to Tom Brady? Does that happen to, yeah. you know, it's happened a little bit to Roethlisberger. They've gone through some guys. It's, you know, yeah. Rodgers has had a, a couple changes here. So it can happen, but I think there's a lot sort of on both parties and more than there's been on Wilson. Oh, no doubt. And I think some of it, wouldn't you agree, some of it is because of these statements he's made. I just think his legacy yeah. has been tarnished a little bit here. And now it's kind of the pendulum has swung back to, okay, Russell, let's see what you got, you know, again. So it's yeah. almost like he's got to prove himself again when in, in, in before he had made these statements, he didn't have to prove anything. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I think also, though, as a coach, you know, as the coach and the organization, it's your job to try to make these things work, too. You don't just want to win a battle against Russell Wilson. You want to win a battle for the Seahawks, right? right. And I think yeah, the best possible outcome for the Seahawks is that Russell Wilson plays great for them and they win a championship. Yeah. And it's probably easier to win a championship if he's your quarterback than if you're just, unless you can get one of those really top picks, which maybe they can. Maybe there's a quarterback coming out uh, in a year or two that they feel like, you know what, we can get this guy on a rookie contract and Russell's going to start winding down and all of that. Maybe that will make sense for them. But I think in the meantime, they're a team that's won 9, 10, 11, 12 games the last four seasons. Go try to win a championship now. Don't just try to defeat Russell Wilson. Right. Try to let's defeat the Rams. <laughs> That's exactly right. And I think we're seeing a little bit of the same scenario in Green Bay to yeah. where the front office that there's that seems to have gotten a little personal as well. And I don't really understand it. I think we all as GMs have to put our pride aside. And like you said, let's do whatever we can to to work with, in this case, Aaron Rodgers, to bring him all the players we can. Where I think it's crazy that they don't go all out and extend themselves, including his contract in any way they can to get better. To, to, to have the best team we can for this last year or two of his run. But it seems to me like that's gotten personal now. And, and you know, time will tell, yeah. right? It's just an interesting dynamic, that's for sure. Absolutely. And, like, that's a fascinating one because, uh, you know, if you're Aaron Rodgers, I think Aaron Rodgers feels, obviously, that, uh, wait a minute, you drafted this a quarterback in the first round. Now you want my help on a contract or whatever, right? I mean, right. He, he's going to – I think he enjoys – I think he actually enjoys a little bit of tension in the situation. And well, he yeah, he knows control. that his play he he knows his play affected the timeline of the people upstairs. And he said, and that. I think he takes pleasure in that. He I think takes he pleasure takes in great it. pleasure. In it. I think a, I think in that case, I agree with you. They should be. I would want to be doing more. I wouldn't yeah. want to use those pick early picks the way they did. Right. But I kind of like uh, I like a little bit of the tension with him. I think he feeds off of it. Um, I think just a little of it's fine. I think he, like you said, he played better after they drafted that guy, you know? Question. And yeah. a little edge on his, it may take a little bit of it. He's played a long time. He's a really smart guy. He's the type of guy who could get bored with just the status quo. So I think having a little poker on him occasionally, maybe maybe there's a fine line there where you get more out of him, you know? Yep. So, I agree with that. Okay. Yeah. It's time for Ask the GM. So, speaking of Rodgers, we're going to wrap this thing up, Randy. I asked the GM question this week. <laughs> Are you watching Aaron Rodgers yeah, on crazy Jeopardy? We ended up talking about this. <laughs> it's great. You've done a great job sort of tipping off the segues. <laughs> no, you, no. You, uh, you're really becoming a, a, a master podcaster here. But, um, <laughs> yeah, right. yeah it, it was very funny. I would encourage anybody, if you didn't see the, the great clip yesterday where um, Aaron Rodgers is hosting Jeopardy, and, you know, of course, you give your your answers uh, in the form of a question and the contestant was stumped didn't have the right answer and he and he said something like whose call was it to go for that field goal uh, in the fourth yeah. game and you can see part of me wondered if Aaron Rodgers planted that question with, <laughs> with the guy's like look dude I'll slip you like 
five grand here off right. the side. You just make sure you ask a funny question. It was very funny. My son, who's a Packers fan, was rolling his eyes. But did you watch? Uh, uh, I did. <laughs> did you watch? What do you yeah. think? I'm a Jeopardy watcher, so I, okay. I wasn't going to miss that. Even though uh, I had to DVR it because the basketball game was on, I, I still watched it. And I think he is a perfect fit for that job. I'll be honest with you. He yeah. he. I just take it as his demeanor. He wants to be the smartest guy in the room. He wants everybody to know how well-read he is and how sharp he is. He's a cow guy, right? You know, he, he that aura, when he walks in the room, I think it's awesome. Um, yes, and the, and the moment you're talking about was in Final Jeopardy, yeah. where where the, the, the contestant didn't have the answer. And like you said, he asked the question, you know, who, who made the call for the field goal? And, and it, 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 Rogers, of course... Uh, tongue-in-cheek said that's a dang good question <laughs> you know <laughs> and so he, he he used it to his favor as well but I thought I thought he did a great job hosting and it's, it's two-week stint for these guys but I thought it was interesting that he said uh, in doing some of the interview stuff about the Jeopardy uh, stint he said that is my dream job to be the long-term the long-term host of Jeopardy you know only only Aaron Rodgers would say that right I mean yes. that's it's just a perfect fit for him and I think he brings a little different element again this comes from a Jeopardy watcher and I've watched it for for years so I like the fit I think it's outstanding and, and I can't wait to to watch uh, the next episode you know yeah that, that's great because I was wondering you know he was talking about that he studied up he studied yeah Alex Trebek and I thought okay that's great but you got to be yourself too so you know I think there's enough there with his he's got kind of a quirky personality that I think people yeah. you know kind of a smart sense of humor that Right. Uh, people, I think he's clever, you know, in the way that yes. he, he conceives things in his mind. I think he's can be intentionally clever too. Like he, he's three plays ahead. You know, he's just yes. he's just kind of funny. And you see him. I mean, it would probably drive me nuts if I was Brian Gutkus, right? Because he's, he's <laughs> all, or or Matt Lafleur, because he sort of has a way of pressing buttons and getting these yeah. topics that are uncomfortable for them, and and right. he sort of massages them in a way that it doesn't really blow up in his face. But it, right. it's kind of what makes him. It kind of what makes him a fascinating guy. I've really enjoyed him on that Pat McAfee podcast that oh, he does yeah. every week. You know, it's funny. It's a great yeah. set on Pat McAfee, and Pat seems it does a great job too. He gets more out of Aaron Rodgers in those five or ten minutes there than anybody yeah. does uh, in, in in and around Green Bay, and that's not a slight on them. But no. I think you're right. It's a great fit, and and they're just shooting the breeze, and and Pat knows the hot buttons to push, and and Aaron kind of. Hey, I, I think Aaron is an entertainer at heart. I really do. That's why I think the match with Jeopardy might be a good one. I'm with you, too. I think they have great beat writers in Green Bay. And and his yeah. his stuff at his locker before the pandemic with those guys was some, was the best quarterback media stuff in the league as it was. But this just sort of takes he, – he's found a couple of other avenues to take it to another level, you know, in a little bit different setting. So we got Jeopardy. we right. got McAfee. we got the regular stuff with the media there that hopefully will <laughs> resume at his locker as we get through the COVID right. uh, deal. So – I'm with you. I'm a fan of it. I think it's fun. I think he enjoys it. And hope everyone listening today has enjoyed the Football GM podcast. You can find you can find Randy Mueller at MuellerFootball.com. Write some great stuff there. You can find him on Twitter at Randy Mueller underscore. I'm Mike Sando, senior writer for The Athletic at Sando NFL. Thanks, everybody, for coming along. <laughs>